And so season three comes to an end. Hello, you're listening to Go Chuck Yourself. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Aaron Arada. And we are here today to discuss the 19th episode that happens to be the final episode of season three of Chuck. And that is entitled Chuck versus the Ring Part Two. See, it's good that you establish what it's called, because as we established last week, I watched it on Amazon and this is not listed as a separate episode. So I had no idea what number this episode was. I had no idea its title. But now I know. So thank you. Right. As we discussed uh, last week, this episode originally aired and is currently bundled on Amazon with the previous episode, Chuck versus the Subway. So really, there's us here at Go Chuck Yourself are doing something that's never been done before in <laughs> really divorcing these two episodes from one another. Yeah. And I would contend making things a lot harder for ourselves in the process. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> the so we it's a. I would say a huge episode of Chuck, this particular episode, uh, and we will be diving into it in just a moment. But look, listener, I'd be remiss to if I didn't share with you the cruel irony of what Aaron and I are currently (laughs) experiencing. Uh, Less so for this episode, more so for the next episode uh, that's going to be coming out next week where we talk about the season three overall. But we kind of were bouncing back and forth and saying like, hey, you know, like last time we did the season two finale recap, like we had this whole gimmick where we were like both drinking bottles of champagne because that's what Ellie did in Chuck versus the ring uh, part one, I guess, as it should now be understood. And uh, is there anything that we want to do like that for these episodes? And we couldn't really think of anything short of like fighting each other in a Best Buy store, which (laughs) I think under the best of circumstances probably wouldn't work out, especially not during quarantine. So we didn't really have a gimmick, but the the cruel fate of the world. Yeah, the universe made a gimmick for us. The universe really, I guess, was kind of generous. It's kind of like an <laughs> ask and you receive manifestation sort of deal. Uh, the universe was like, how how would you guys like? I have a deal for you. How would you like to record this episode completely over the telephone? <laughs> uh, uh, Aaron, would you like to explain why we're doing this? Yeah, so um, my internet has decided to stop working um, shortly before we were planning to record at 1 p.m. my time, and at around 12.45, the internet went away with no plans of coming back. It just packed its bags and left. Um, <laughs> so Chris and I have been troubleshooting for the past uh, around an hour, trying to figure out how we can record this episode, and what we settled on is we are each recording separately on our computers, but we are talking to one another on the phone. And a thread for you go chuck yourself long-time listeners, you may know that we have problems. We have a love-hate relationship with Apple products. Chris and I both have iPhones, and we both have newer models, which means that Um, We cannot charge our phones and use headphones at the same time, and speakerphone would be a problem because we would pick up one another's voices. So what we are doing is we have phones pressed to the sides of our heads. Mine has a really uh, bad battery, so it's currently plugged in and is very hot, so I may have third-degree burns on my face by the time we're done, but that's what we do for our uh, valued listeners. Yes, and a fun fact for those listening, for those of you listening at home, this is actually how they used to record podcasts back at the turn of the 20th century. <laughs> it was it wasn't done over Zoom or video chat. It was all done over the telephone and uh, using separate microphones. So that's where we're at currently. And, you know, I think it, it this was a big challenge, but I feel like it's a good challenge to have in this particular episode, just as the main characters are trying to dig their way out of a pretty serious hole you know we will adapt and we will thrive to this new situation you know we're kind of like ellie at the beginning of this episode when she's on the phone with uh devin and morgan that's right we're embodying Uh, the episode are there there's a couple phone calls there's also a phone call with shaw in this episode i believe yeah phone call with beckman but that's video so that is not what we're doing now that we think about it, it would actually have, we should have just pretended like we intended to do this as a yeah. gimmick the whole time in celebration of all the different phone calls on the episode. <laughs> it's not yes. as exciting as drinking a bottle of champagne on the Definitely air. Definitely not. Um, well, I did want to point out before we get into that that episode featuring a lot of things, including a lot of phone calls, that this is the first episode that we're recording since our two year anniversary of the the first recording of Go Chuck Yourself. So. Happy, happy two year anniversary slash birthday, I guess, Aaron, of Go Chuck Yourself. Um, either one, both. My parents' anniversary is very close to my dad's birthday, so it's it's kind of like that. It's a birthday anniversary. Yeah, who would have thought that when we were sitting in your apartment of those two years ago using <sighs> a, a cat scratching pole as a <laughs> tripod for the microphone that we would be here two years later recording the 
season three finale. That's over the phone. Over the phone. It's yeah. kind of like we we took a bunch of steps forward and we got like Jesse Hyman as a guest. We got our own microphones. We got like recording setups and editing software. And uh, then we take a giant step back. Well, we got to stay on our toes, you know, That's now true, that yes. we're, we're entering this. What I guess is our third year of Go Chuck Yourself. We yeah. really got to make things interesting. We got to uh, just like the the show itself kind of evolved in the third season. We yeah. also must evolve in the third season. Yeah, so much like the Intersect 2.0, this is Go Check Yourself 3.0? Sure, yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay. With that being said, Aaron, would you like to take us back into where we left off at the end of Chuck versus the Subway? I would love to. So, I don't know, for you, did it have like an episode recap if you were watching the episode separately? It did not. Okay, so what was happening is that uh, Chuck and Sarah and... Casey have been uh, trapped in a prison transport being driven by Shaw, although I'm pretty sure he gets into the passenger seat if you're like watching carefully. So there might be another driver. I'm, it's unclear. Um, Ellie is following them in her own car secretly. And then uh, Morgan and Devin are also on the hunt to try to rescue Team Bartowski from Shaw's nefarious plot. And if you're watching on Amazon, that just goes right into the next scene. Ellie's in the car driving around some windy California roads, and she seems to have lost the prison transport. She has a flashback to Encino, California, which I guess is where the Bartowski family lived in the past when she and Chuck were kids. Chuck has broken their mom's favorite necklace, which is kind of like a big, it's like a necklace of two children. One of them is a boy and one of them is a girl. They're like silver silhouettes. And um, Chuck has broken off the boy half of this necklace. Our good friend Scott Bakula, even though he's dead, he is back, which makes sense because he is a living uh, vampire. And he uh, he comes out and he tells them that there's nothing they can't fix if they work together. Just kind of a nice sentiment. When Chuck runs off, Stephen tells Ellie she has to protect him because she's his big sister. And I thought that seems like a good way to give your child a complex. Did you Parents do that with you? Did they say, uh, Chris, you got to protect Molly? I, I don't know. Maybe at some point. But I uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of a uh, the parent is giving a rather explicit uh, or is naming a feeling that I feel like maybe a lot of older siblings just kind of feel innately yeah. or you kind of pick up over the course of your life. But mm -hmm. here, uh, Stephen is just putting up really a lot of pressure <laughs> on young Ellie. And I yeah. guess we'll pr continue to put pressure on her when he runs away and makes her. Uh, in charge of the family's taxes, which we find out later yes, in this episode. Yeah, yeah it was um, pretty harsh. I don't know. I I would have bought, like, if they didn't have this scene and just Ellie was very protective of Chuck, I think that's fine for an older sibling to be feeling. But to know that Stephen, like, made her promise him that he would, that she would always protect her brother, you know, that puts some things in perspective. So mm -hmm. back in the present... Ellie calls Devin to say that she lost the truck, and she's pretty upset about this uh, based on that flashback. Also back in the present is Team Bartowski. They're in the van, and Sarah tells Chuck it's not his fault that his dad died, but Chuck says it is because Chuck is the one who chose a spy life, and that's what kind of led to his dad's death. Things get even tenser when the van stops. A little ways away down the road, Morgan and Devin also stop. Devin asks Morgan what they're going to do to rescue Chuck, and Morgan says, No plan? Never stopped me before! Meanwhile, Shaw is opening the back door of the van and tells the team to uncuff themselves so he can shoot them and make it look like they were trying to escape. I was trying to figure out what exactly is going on here because before he had promised that he was taking them to like some kind of underground CIA facility. But I guess like because he is pretending that he's still working for the CIA, he's trying to like keep himself on the up and up, but also get get them killed. You think that's what's happening? Is that well, I actually I really had a hard time understanding this little exchange as well. I had to go okay, back good. and re like watch it because I was like, mm -hmm. why is he because he gives them keys. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking my first interpretation of it, which proved to be wrong, was that they were stopping for like a bathroom break. Okay. And he was saying, like, uncuff yourselves. And if it looks like you guys are going to escape, I'm going to shoot you. Okay. But then I was like, that doesn't make sense. Why would they go to the bathroom? Like, no one goes to the bathroom <laughs> and Chuck. And then. No one when goes to the bathroom in truck. You heard it here first. It's never <laughs> happened. Uh, except, I guess, to build like a weird kind of office hideout yeah, like yeah. Jeff has in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. But um, then my second interpretation was, which is what I was sticking with, was that Shaw was just letting them like uncuff themselves so they could be more comfortable. 
but if they abused that privilege, he would shoot them. So I feel like he was going to kill them. He was going to kill them right then and there. I guess that makes sense. That's what I understood it to be. I don't know if it completely makes sense with his plan, but mm-hmm. that's what I think they were trying to imply. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I thought that they were headed to like a CIA or ring facility. Where yeah, they well, that's going. what he said before. But maybe he changed his mind. He's just like, I'm just going to kill these people. It's just like having, you know, Christmas presents under the tree. You're like, I just can't wait. I got to open one now. <laughs> I gotta, yes, exactly. I got to kill one of my enemies right now. I can't yeah. wait to get to the base. Yeah. So whatever is happening in the scene, we have our interpretation. You may have yours, but something that is not up for interpretation is that Chuck notices Shaw is wearing the governor watch, which you may remember is the watch that controls the intersect and makes you not go crazy. Elsewhere, Morgan points out that he and Devin are in Casey's Crown Vic, so they look in the glove compartment for weaponry. They find a gun, but Devin protests he can't use it because he's a doctor, which is nice. I mean, I can think of a lot of doctors who use guns on TV, but Devin is not one of them. Morgan finds a button instead and presses it, which shoots a missile directly at the prison transport. It blows up, jostling everybody about and throwing Shaw around so he gets knocked out in the grass. Devin helps the team out of the truck and into the Crown Vic, where Casey is irritated that they used his missile. Chuck notices Shaw waking up in the grass and flashes, but without the governor, his intersect is failing fast. He has a flash of... when Was it the Lincoln Memorial? Did you notice this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so he has a flash of the Lincoln Memorial and suddenly can't fight, so I guess Lincoln kind of fucked with him there. Sarah pulls Chuck into the car just as Shaw picks up his gun and begins shooting, but Team Bartowski drives off. It's very exciting. So this was kind of like a, you know, I think this is a classic example of a like deuce ex machina kind of situation Uh where, you know, it's a situation that all of a sudden that seems hopeless, but then is all of a sudden immediately resolved by what is basically like an accident or just like this kind of contrived thing where it immediately solves it right away. And I was thinking that's kind of, yeah. Because it's just mm-hmm. like they're fumbling around in the Crown Vic and they're not like there's no strategy or anything for mm-hmm. it. And then it just accidentally like it. It so happens to hit the, the transport and not like a tree or something. Yeah, like that. I was surprised about that. And I was kind of wondering, like it kind of, you know, obviously we took a you know time off between the two episodes. But I was wondering, like, I'm trying to remember how this must have been like watching it in its entirety the first time when it aired to be mm-hmm. like. Because it kind of would just feel like a fake out because it's just like together the two scenes are like, you know, five minutes apart of them getting into the vehicle at the end of Chuck versus the subway and this missile being launched at them. Mm -hmm. So it kind of doesn't it feels like kind of cheap, maybe. I don't know. Like, I feel like it almost works better when the two episodes are separate. So it's like the the second episode starting off with a a bang and kind of getting Mm -hmm. things back on track. But I think it's an interesting choice for a a large episode like the midway point of a large episode yeah i think you're right i think that like in trying to figure out exactly how to break up our notes i had to like pay attention to like the normal structure of this episode and like the time stamps and everything and i feel like it does definitely work as like a singular episode of chuck it follows like the beats of a like one 42 minute episode Mm -hmm. um and so i think you're right that This does work as like kind of like a cold open kind of thing. But if you're watching it all the way through, it is kind of like I think a fake out is a good description of it because it's just like, oh, Shaw has captured them and there's no hope. And then suddenly they're free like five minutes later. Right. Exactly. So somewhere nearby, they meet up with Ellie and she and Chuck hug. And it's a it's a very sweet moment, like because their dad just died and they're they're bonding. And also like they were worried about each other. We got back to Ellie's flashback where she agrees to always be there for Chuck. And I kind of thought we'd already seen that, but I guess she didn't agree to the premise before. Now, here's where we would normally expect the credits, but you can tell this episode is going to be a hot one because there are no credits. It just goes right back into the scene. And I I guess maybe part of that is like because it was like divided over two episodes, but I also like tend to assume when there's no credits that it's because it's going to be a long episode and they don't have time for it. Mm-hmm. So they introduce like the the credits are like over this next scene of like saying who's in the show and who worked on it, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't get to hear any cake this episode, unfortunately. The team and Devin and Morgan decide that the best course of action now is just to change their identities and go on the run. The only one not super jazzed with this plan is Ellie, who's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm calling the police. When Casey says she can't do that, Ellie gets in her car to drive off and Chuck jumps in with her. They go off to talk. 
Back at the Bymore, which is a phrase I haven't said in a while, Big Mike is enjoying a delicious egg breakfast from Subway when his phone rings. He looks at his cell phone, and that's not ringing, then at his office phone, which I want to stop here to say that I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into trying to pause the scene exactly right because he has a post-it on his office phone. Did you notice this? No, I didn't see it. Okay, so he has a post-it, and I really wanted to know what it says. And it took me like probably like 20 minutes to be able to like pause it so that I could read it. But it says, find out that Casey guy's B-Day. <laughs> so isn't that nice? Big Mike wants to know Casey's B-Day. <laughs> That's that's awesome. I'd yeah. say that's worth the the twenty minutes yeah, of pausing and was. playing to yes. to see it. That's the uh, I'd say that's a, a great example of the quality Chuck related journalism that you get here listening to yes, Go exactly. Chuck Yourself. Yeah, Seth was asking why are you doing this, and I was like, my fans they need to know. <laughs> so that office phone, uh, despite its charms, is not ringing either. What is ringing is a phone inside Big Mike's desk drawer. I don't know what it's connected to, but it's ringing and it's labeled Moses. Big Mike rushes out into the store to find Morgan, Casey, or Chuck. Instead, he finds Jeff and Lester. He tells them he needs his assistant managers, which, is Casey an assistant manager? Like, why would he say it like that? I don't know. I don't know why he says it, but uh, he has to settle for Jeff and Lester. Moses is the Bymore founder, which I kind of vaguely remember from an earlier episode, and apparently he called to say that the store might be going under. Big Mike doesn't know what to do, and Lester suggests telling the truth and holding the largest blowout sale Burbank has ever seen. And I want to comment here from my personal life that I'm sure it would be better than Pier 1's blowout sale, because that sucks. Not good deals. Not good products, not good deals. Wow, okay. <laughs> the highest, the highest percentage of anything off, like... So Pier 1 is like, everything must go. We're literally closing. But they're, yeah. the highest percentage is 40% off. That's nothing. And they're expensive anyway. Yeah. Pier 1, I'm coming for you. Chuck and Ellie have a little chat, finally, where Ellie is betrayed that she's the last to know about Chuck's spy life, and he assures her it was only to keep her safe, but she was the one he most wanted to know. They talk about their dad, and Chuck tells Ellie that Stephen wasn't crazy. He was a hero. Ellie asks what they're going to do, and Chuck promises that he'll take down Shaw in the ring. Ellie agrees, but then she demands that Chuck be done with the spy life because she can't protect him from that. He promises that he'll be done after just one more mission. But he's serious this time. He looks like he's he really means it when he's yeah, talking yeah. to when he tells Ellie that it's one more mission. It's a lot different than when he tells Sarah that it's one more mission. Yeah, exactly. Evidently. Yeah. So things are all primed for Ellie to be part of the big finale. Just kidding. As soon as they get back to Burbank, Chuck sends her and Devin off into hiding and tells them he'll call them when everything's over. He heads into Casey's apartment where the team plus Morgan is meeting and hops onto the computer to hack into Beckman's prison cell and talk to her. They do that and Beckman is super relieved to hear from them. She tells him that she originally came to town for some type of security conference that's a front for a spy conference. I kind of thought she was in town to like appeal on Chuck's behalf. I don't exactly know what's going on here, but she says that Shaw is planning to go in her place and use the conference to take over the CIA and NSA with his ring forces. Again, I mean, we could talk about this later. I don't really know what Shaw's plan is because I feel like unless he's going to like mind control them or like hold them hostage, I don't know like what he's going to do to convince them to actually work for the ring, but he's going to make some kind of presentation. Beckman also says that the five elders will be there and Chuck flashes and sees those people. We haven't seen them in a little while, but the people yeah. from like the like Legion of Shadows type room where they're like the silhouettes. Mm -hmm. Um this flash, though, is also fraught, and he has some trouble. At this point, Seth really uh, demanded that I ask you a question, which is, does Chuck's flashes remind you of Jimmy Neutron's brain blast? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I guess they do. Okay, thank you for answering that. Seth will be very happy. Uh, the connection with Beckman terminates, and the team discuss how they could possibly break into a heavily guarded spy convention, but they already broke into that weapons convention in Dubai, so I think they'll be fine, and they ultimately decide that they will be fine too. Sarah and Chuck disguise themselves as members of the Russian delegation. Sarah is wearing pretty much the worst wig ever, but Chuck looks incredible. He has a cane and a gray beard. Per Sarah's instructions, Chuck bumps into Shaw and drops some kind of device in his pocket. Um, we later find out it's a phone. I don't know if you could tell it was a phone in this shot, but I, it's a phone. Mm -hmm. Shaw stops to introduce himself for some reason. I don't really know. Like, I guess this is kind of like a networking event and he like just wants to say hi to everybody. 
Um, at least in this scene, he seems convinced that Chuck is an old Russian man, and then he heads off. Meanwhile, Casey and Morgan are in some kind of back room hacking into the computer to find out, I guess, which room Shaw is staying in, like in the hotel above the conference. They get the info to Chuck and Sarah, but then Morgan drops a piece of paper and Casey picks it up to find Alex's phone number. He's like, why do you have my daughter's phone number? And Morgan is like, um... As this is happening, Chuck and Sarah sneak through the chrome halls of this convention center. So I just... I, the... I don't know if you caught it before, but Beckman says that this convention is being held at the Grand Ambassador Hotel, which is. Oh, is that where the uh, the that family, the 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 other role models? Yeah. Yeah, we're staying in Chuck versus the role models. Uh Totally different aesthetic. The (laughs) Grand Ambassador Hotel looks like kind of like a classic standard kind of hotel fare. But this is a very futuristic. Maybe it has like two different wings. Maybe, but I was just like, this doesn't, why would you even say that it's at the same hotel? Just make them yeah. a different thing and, and you know, don't worry about They're it. They're running but. out of hotels. They have so many hotels in this show. I guess so, yeah. And it's, it's some kind of spy networking intelligence conference, like you said. Like, it's not really clear what exactly this is. But um, so anyhow, Chuck and Sarah are sneaking around. Chuck in his, uh, his, his very elaborate costume of, uh, I guess it's from... The because uh, he references playing Perchik in uh, The Fiddler on the Roof um, in Chuck versus the fake name. And I guess this is the same character oh, that okay. he's playing right yes. now is the makeup. Um, yes. So he has very elaborate makeup. I, w- I wouldn't recognize Zachary Levi dressed like this. I was pretty. No, convinced I, that, I would not either. But they had no like budget for Sarah's. No, she looks, she looks basically like herself, but she's wearing like a party city brown wig. Right. So if Shaw, Shaw might be fooled by seeing Chuck, but mm-hmm. he wouldn't be fooled by seeing Sarah. So no. I don't know. And Sarah's arguably like a better actress than Chuck and could probably blend in more. But who knows? It doesn't matter. They're <laughs> sneaking around the inner workings of this convention and Justin confronts them with his gun drawn. He Justin has a little bruise that- on his face. Justin, oh well, yeah, because he got uh, he got hit by Casey with yeah. the, the napkin holder. Right, yes. Uh, Justin says that Shaw said that Chuck's accent needed some work, and Chuck asks if Justin's the guy that was misleading Ellie. Justin says that he was, and Chuck hits Justin in the face with a cane he was using for his disguise. So <laughs> yep. another, another great scene of Justin being hit in the head. Uh, <laughs> Chuck flashes and tries to fight uh, Justin and his partner further by the intersect malfunctions, immobilizing Chuck. He, like, gets these really bad migraines, basically, when this is happening. So Sarah knocks out Justin and his crony with ease. Sarah sees Chuck in pain and asks what's wrong. And Chuck says that the intersect is melting down and he needs the governor as soon as possible. <laughs> uh, their only hope, Chuck says, is for Sarah to continue on with Morgan and Casey to stop Shaw. Sarah doesn't want to leave Chuck alone with an imploding supercomputer computer in his head, but uh, he he insists. So Sarah and joins up with, with Casey and Morgan later. Uh, we cut to the buy more which is fully decorated with going out of business signs. It's nighttime and Jeff runs into the closed store to find Lester and Big Mike. He tells them that there's a line around the block with people camping out for the sale the next day. I'm not really positive if the three of them are just there after hours because they were finished, like they're busy setting up all the signs or if they're just like there first thing in the morning and it's still dark out. I'm just really (laughs) not sure of the timeline. Unclear. Uh, Jeff hands Lester a DVD and Lester presents this DVD to Big Mike and asks if they can play it in the store during the big sale. Big Mike asks what it is and they explain that is their music video that they spent two weekends on. The cover, uh, just for context, is a photo of Jeff and Lester standing in a fire, both dressed like Ghost Rider, (laughs) with the Jeffster logo at the bottom. Big Mike says that it's a great idea, but they should play it later in the day because they don't want to scare away anyone too early in the sale. Meanwhile, back at the spy conference, Shaw is giving his big keynote address where he just kind of says a bunch of meaningless things like comparing international terrorism to a growth industry and that the kind of security the CIA offers is in higher demand than it was a year ago. I guess this makes sense to the people in the audience, but I was like, I don't know. This sounds kind of a like a weird thing for us. Yeah, CIA I really like don't say. know what his plan with this is. Like, is it uh, like if he got further into the presentation, would he be like, this is why you need the ring? And then everybody would agree. Well, see, I don't think 
I think what is happening is that he's not really he's not overtly trying to sell them on the ring. He's just campaigning to get Beckman's job. And then once he's in Beckman's job, he will be furthering the ring's agenda. Oh, okay. that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's what he's trying to do. Um, so he's giving this talk, but then he's interrupted when a cell phone starts to ring and the ringtones, the uh, what I guess is known as the Mexican hat dance song. Uh, not my words, just what I found online. Uh, it's kind of like a fun, like little ringtone ringtone song. Yeah, when I was have. when I was looking through the music listed in this episode, I was like, when does the Mexican hat dance play? And then uh, that this this is when. So everyone in the audience looks around and checks their phones to see if it's them. But then Shaw realizes that it's coming from his pocket. He <gasps> takes out his uh, or takes out the iPhone. It's not his iPhone. Uh, the iPhone that Chuck slipped into his pocket earlier. And all he sees on the word or all he sees on the screen is the word unknown with the nerd herd logo. He asks to be excused and answers the phone off stage. On the other end, Chuck asks Shaw if he knew that the nerd herd offered a variety of solutions to improve business presentations of all kinds. Shaw asks Chuck where he is, and Chuck says that he's in room 752, which he believes is Shaw's room. Shaw is silent, and Chuck continues uh, saying that he also believes that the ring's elders are in the audience, and that they have to be wondering who Shaw is talking to so urgently. Shaw takes out a ring phone and sends a group text to the elders, which I assume reads, Chuck's still alive, frowny face, frowny face, frowny face. (laughs) I want to note that after he sends out his group text, we see the various elders answering their ring phones and because they're vibrating and they all take them out of their pockets, which, you know, seems kind of like a they should have probably thought about this yeah. before they took out their phones. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like there's one shot of someone taking out their phone. Then there's another shot of someone taking out their phone. And then where there would have been a third shot of someone taking out their vibrating ring phone, Catherine's phone vibrating on the couch <laughs> next to me. So I think Catherine has been one of the ring elders this whole time. Uh, I think that makes sense. Yeah. So needless to say, that's something that she and I are are working through. That's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know a good couples therapist if you need one. Uh, Shaw hangs up and returns to his, his podium to tell the audience that the presentation will resume in a moment and tells them to remain seated before walking off the stage entirely. As this is happening, Casey continues to pressure Morgan about why he has Alex's phone number. Morgan explains that Alex gave him her number out of her own free will as friends, but Casey asks if there's something more than that and then grabs Morgan by the throat. Casey observes that Morgan is showing all the physical signs of someone in infatuation, flushed uh, flushed skin, widened pupils, quickened heart rate. Morgan says he only looks like that because Casey's choking him, at which point Casey drops him and Sarah enters and asks what's going on. Morgan says that he was just out of breath and Sarah tells him to get himself together. They have to go get Chuck. They all take out their guns, including Morgan, who has a machine gun, and head out. So I guess instead of going back to Castle, Chuck went up to Shaw's room to lay down for a little while while he's not <laughs> flashing. Because he's still in the mission. In fact, he's like doing the most stressful part of the mission. Yeah. So I don't know why he told Sarah to go on without him. I don't know. Uh, so Chuck is sitting by himself in Shaw's room. He's sitting at like this big fancy desk with a laptop open. Uh, Shaw says... He well, Shaw walks in and then says, huh, no gun, huh? Chuck, you're very brave. What's happening? Chuck tells Shaw that he's under arrest and Shaw says that he would wants to know Chuck's plan. And Chuck says that he's not going to make the classic villain mistake of explaining his plan in detail. Shaw's kind of taken aback by this. But then Chuck breaks and said that he'd love to tell Shaw his plan. Chuck explains that they had no idea how to identify the ring elders, but Shaw did that for them by texting them in their group chat. Shaw's face starts to drop, and Chuck says, on behalf of the CIA, the NSA, and of course, your local buy more, I'd just like to say thanks a lot. <laughs> Cut to Casey and Morgan running up a stairwell. They bump into Justin, who's leading a diverse group of business professionals down the stairs. I'm assuming these are the ring elders, um, but they kind of look like like models from like a, a business textbook, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> they don't really, they're a lot less intimidating when you see them in person. I guess I understand why they're always covered in shadows because yeah, it makes yeah. them scarier. They're very, they're very mild mannered. Uh, Casey and Morgan point guns at them and tell them to put their hands up. Justin and the diverse group of business professionals, who I'm assuming once again are the ring elders, oblige. And Morgan says that they are the disease and he's the cure, which is a reference to the Sylvester Stallone movie Cobra. Casey tells him to chill out because he didn't actually put any bullets in Morgan's gun. Sarah approaches the ring elders from the stairs above and pages Chuck to let him know that they were successful in capturing the elders and that he needs to keep Shaw occupied. Chuck says, got it, and then tells Shaw that they just captured the ringleaders. Shaw asks if Chuck knows what they did wrong and then points out that Chuck and his team are fugitives. Under whose authority could they possibly arrest Shaw? 
Chuck points out that they can arrest him for killing Steven. And then Shaw confesses to killing Steven and working for the ring in order to take down the CIA. And then adds that despite these things, he's going to walk out a hero. Shaw asks Chuck how this makes him feel. And Chuck stands up and says, you know, your nerd herd associate can also help you with video conferencing. And then turns around the MacBook that was conspicuously open this entire time on Chuck's desk, revealing that Chuck was recording Shaw this whole time. Do you think uh, the nerd herd associate could help us with our video conferencing issue? Oh, maybe. Yeah, we are definitely (laughs) in the midst of a video conferencing problem. (laughs) So not only was Chuck recording Shaw's confession, but he was also live streaming it into the auditorium where Shaw was giving his presentation, meaning that all of the officials in the audience just watched Shaw or just watched Shaw confess to being a murderer and a traitor. Chuck then asked Shaw, do you know what I say to that? And then he says, you've been punked. No, he doesn't. He makes a subtle evil villain laugh, which is a reference to what Shaw did, I guess, in the previous episode. And then uh, Chuck tells Shaw to give him the governor. Chuck threatens to take it from him, but Shaw says that he'd like to see Chuck try. Chuck then flashes, and it seems like it's going to be successful, but then turns out to be another wonky flash that immobilizes Chuck. Shaw approaches Chuck and says, I knew you didn't have it in you, and throws Chuck to the floor before knocking Chuck into the window, breaking the glass. Okay, there's some weak windows at this hotel. Yeah, those shattered very easily. I feel like I could, you know, typically I probably couldn't punch through a window, but I feel like I could have punched through that particular window. And I am by no means a strong person. There's another one when when Shaw, no spoilers, uh, jumps through the window and it breaks very easily. That's another like these. I don't know what these windows are made out of, but I'm pretty sure like especially hotel windows should be a little stronger than this. Yeah, they're usually reinforced just for the. For the exact purpose of keeping people from falling out of them. Yeah. Uh, So Shaw is holding Chuck over the window ledge and Sarah enters gun drawn and demands that Shaw drop Chuck. And Shaw, you know, good for him. He doesn't do the villain cliche of like, are you sure? And then tries to (laughs) drop Chuck out the window. He kind of just pushes Chuck to the floor and then jumps out the window onto a a massive American flag that was apparently (laughs) outside the window this entire time. (laughs) I wrote... Uh, This is symbolic for what Shaw is doing to America. (laughs) So he I was like, okay, so this room is 752, correct? Which Uh, they've said a couple of times. So that means that this hotel has at least seven floors. This hotel room is on the seventh floor. So how tall is this flagpole that it's (laughs) it goes up all the way to the seventh floor of a hotel? It's a really tall flag. I guess so, but then, like, wouldn't you be pissed if you checked into this fancy <laughs> hotel room and your view was just a flag that was Maybe just blocking? Shaw loves America. You're just so American that you're like, yes, I love having this flag blocking I my am view. A hundred percent sure there are some people who would really like that. I don't disagree with that, but I was still like, this seems <laughs> once again kind of like a deus ex machina of yeah. like, how's he going to get out of this situation? Maybe there's a giant flag here. That, like, yep. okay, fine. Uh, so Chad does some acrobatics and uses the flag to swing around and crash through the very flimsy window of the hotel room uh, beneath them. Sarah runs Chuck's side and Chuck, in the grip of an intersect-induced seizure, says, help me. Later that night, Morgan apparently decides to go to the Buy More. Once again, not really understanding how time works at the Buy More in this episode. <laughs> uh, he walks in and sees all of the going out of business signs and wonders what has happened over the past two days while he was gone. So... I I really don't know when this happens in relation to the previous scene. I thought it happened immediately after. Maybe it happens a day after, a night after. Who knows? Um, And this also makes me wonder, I was wondering what you thought about this, how Morgan can justify all of his time off for spy-related antics and keep his job. Like, what does he tell Big Mike? Obviously, Chuck always was talking about installs and doing all that, but I feel like Morgan doesn't really Yeah, I really don't know. Um... I think Big Mike is a little bit like soft on Morgan, so maybe like he'd give him a little bit of a leeway. I feel like he could probably say he's at like some type of management seminar. I feel like that's been something in the past, but I don't know how he's how he's uh, justifying all of this. Unless Morgan like only does spy stuff on his days off because he said he had two days off, which theoretically like that makes sense. He would have two days off during the week. So, yeah, that's a a non-issue. Um, so regardless of the hour at the buy more, the store is packed with customers and Big Mike tells Jeff and Lester that the store's sales numbers are through the roof. Jeff and Lester ask if it's time to play their music video and Big Mike gives them the go ahead. Lester puts the DVD into a DVD player and Big Mike says, play it loud. When Big Mike's 
uh, I think like his boss enters, like the district manager or something, uh, surrounded by random other Bymore associates from no, wait, the Beverly was Hills it, store. Was it the guys from Beverly Hills? Was, or it was just like random Beverly Hills people? Um, it wasn't the same guys, but mm-hmm. there were definitely Beverly Hills guys. I don't yes. know if he, that guy was the store manager or the district manager. Okay, but, makes sense. Um, he says, this man walks in and says, what's going on? Who approved this sale? The store is supposed to be closed. These people are stealing from us. And then says that um, all of the merchandise was supposed to have been shipped to Beverly Hills to consolidate it while Burbank goes out of business. Um, so he has some kind of ties to 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 Beverly Hills. I don't yes, know if he's yeah. a manager or district manager. But anywho, uh, Big Mike sees this and pushes Jeff and Lester down into an aisle and says, this is not good. Old man Moses can't protect us anymore. Uh, and then they... After, like, the Beverly Hills guys start getting close to them, Big Mike, Jeff, and Lester run away. Back in Castle, Chuck is resting uh, with what looks to be, like, a fever. He's just kind of out of it and laying on his back, wearing, like, sweats. He's wearing sweatpants and, like, a t-shirt. Sarah's at his side. Chuck asks where everyone is, and Sarah says that Casey is getting Ellie and Devin, and Morgan is checking in on the buy more. I thought Casey was supposed to just be, like, Ellie and Devin were already out of the picture, but I, I don't know. Um... Chuck tells Sarah that he promised Ellie that he would quit the spy life and that Ellie is going to be so mad at him if he dies. Sarah promises that she's going to get their governor from Shaw regardless of where he is. As she says this, we see Shaw enter the Bymore. Morgan instantly spots him. Shaw heads into a random aisle and places some kind of metal cube down on his shelf and walks away. And I was like, dude, there's easier ways of returning your GameCube to the <laughs> store, man. Don't, don't just drop it off. But as it turns out, Morgan hurries over to the shelf and sees that the metal cube that Shaw put down is actually a C4 explosive and panics. Morgan dials Sarah on his cell phone, much like Aaron dialed me on her cell phone. <laughs> uh, when Shaw appears behind him and picks him up by the shirt collar, Sarah answers the phone thinking it's Morgan and Shaw says, this isn't about you. He then adds that he's in the buy more and that it is armed with explosives. Sarah logs into the buy more security feed and finds Shaw standing with Morgan and a detonator in the back office. Shaw says that the CIA backup will take at least 10 minutes to arrive if Sarah calls them, whereas he only needs seconds to blow up the Vimor and everyone in it. Shaw says that he wants Sarah to send him Chuck immediately. Sarah agrees and says that she's on her way. Sarah triggers the Vimor breach alert, which Casey sees in his car as he's driving to Ellie and Devin, I guess, and then he immediately pulls a U-turn. Um, at some point during all this, Shaw zip ties Morgan to a chair in the computer cage in the back room. Morgan cries for help and tries to escape, but knocks over his chair, his face and cell phone hitting the floor. Sarah runs into the buy more as Morgan tries to use his face to dial his cell phone. Sarah looks around the busy store looking for Shaw as Morgan succeeds in calling Casey. Casey asks what's going on, and Morgan says that Shaw's in the store and that he's going to blow it up. Casey tells Morgan that he needs to get everyone out of the store as soon as possible and asks if he's near a fire alarm. Morgan says that he is, but he's trapped inside the cage with his hands cuffed to a chair. Casey tells Morgan that he needs to break his thumbs in a homage to chuck versus the suburbs where Mm -hmm. chuck has to break his thumbs Mm -hmm. after asking casey to clarify morgan agrees and after a moment succeeds in breaking his thumbs jesus i i was once again thinking about my own strength here i'm like can i break how strong do you have to be to break your own thumbs it's gotta you gotta be pretty strong right you gotta be pretty strong willed i'd say out on the sales floor sarah encounters shaw and shaw asks where chuck is sarah says that shaw doesn't want to kill all the innocent people in the buy more and shaw says that she's right he doesn't want to do that but he would like to kill chuck and he wouldn't mind killing her too they both reach for their guns big mike jeff and lester hide in the home theater room and try to formulate a plan of escape jeff suggests that they use pineapple and a throwback to the season one episode chuck versus the nemesis morgan meanwhile manages to escape the cage and approaches the fire alarm and is about to pull it when the fire alarm goes off on its own Turns out Jeff beat him to it. The lights <laughs> go out in the buy more as the alarm sounds. There's there's no like message or recording of people saying like, please exit the store in a calm and orderly fashion. Like everyone just freaks out. Nope, they just uh, run. Yeah, stampede. Which is the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do in this situation. Uh, they all panic and swarm out, causing quite a scene. Sarah is jostled by all of these customers running at her. Kind of like, uh, they're like a, a bunch of wildebeests basically. And Sarah's <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, like in the Lion King. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Shaw runs up to Sarah, like, while she's distracted by all these customers and takes her at gunpoint. And no one apparently sees this or cares about it. I'm like, wouldn't you see this large man take out a gun and hold this woman hostage? They're too busy panicking. They they don't care. They just want to get out of there. I guess so. Back in Castle, Chuck is woken up by all of the alarms sounding. And in the midst of all of this, uh, he sees Shaw capturing Sarah on the Buy More security feed. 
and starts like having these really impromptu flashes in the dark, empty by more Shaw handcuffs Sarah to the nerd her desk and asks where Chuck is. Sarah says that he's not coming because he can't. As she says this, we hear the automatic doors at the front of the store open. Shaw approaches the doors and we see Chuck walk in looking like a badass with his yeah. gun and his sweatpants. Yeah, he does. Chuck points his gun at Shaw and says, gunfight, is that what you really want? And Shaw asks if Chuck has one good flash left. Chuck says that he left the best for last and the two men throw their guns to the side and both close their eyes and flash. <laughs> Shaw flashes without a problem, but Chuck flashes with some complications. Chuck stumbles and hits the tray of the DVD player holding the Jeffster DVD, which was still ejected for some reason. I guess no, none of the customers accidentally bumped into it while they were running out of the store. Uh, so all, all of a sudden, all of the Buy More's TVs start playing a Wild West background and we see Lester dressed like a cowboy. And we see Jeff uh, dressed like, um, uh, hey, did you see that they, uh, the football team from Washington is finally changing their names? Isn't that great? Uh, yeah, let's let's focus on that. It was it was not great. <laughs> uh, Jeff had um, one one of his uh, head head gear, head headwear hat type things was a Viking helmet, which is I, I think, OK. But the others were not good. Not great. No, the other was a traditional headdress which yes. is yeah. not great yeah uh so there's this really weird video of jeff and lester squaring off in the wild west in the background while chuck and square uh chuck and shaw square off for real in the buy more chuck and shaw have a, a what can only be described as an incredibly intense martial arts fight while jeffster rips into a cover of bon jovi's blaze of glory and after some pretty awesome fight choreography shaw gets the upper hand and throws chuck to the floor near the nerd her desk where Chuck riles around as Intersect melts down. Sarah pleads for Chuck to please wake up, but Chuck is unconscious and he's reliving Steven's death and having a vision of the past. And I don't think I've said this in a while, but I would really like to say this in this particular moment that a Chuck fighting game, <laughs> video game, computer game, flash game, whatever, some kind of game where you get to play a as characters and they, and they fight. Oh, that's a, I didn't mean to make a pun there, but. You know, like a flash player game. Yeah, yeah. I understood what you meant. Uh, it would be sweet. Can you? This would be such a cool level. Like you, you, yeah. Chuck and Shaw square off in the like the alarm buy more, the dark buy more. Oh, I agree. I also wanted to point out. Um, you told me in a previous episode how you loved this scene and you remembered uh, thinking it was awesome. And I wanted to point out that you loved a scene in which Jeffster is playing. I know they're your enemies, but you you well, love this scene, Chris. I, enemies is a strong word. I wouldn't say that they're my enemies necessarily, but um, I did not. I do remember I had remembered this loving the scene from the first time that I watched Chuck um, when I was 17 and um, I was I had really high hopes for it. I evidently misremembered a lot of it because I so for one, I thought that the sprinklers were going off in the scene. So everything oh, that was would wet. be cool. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. Um, but then I also I could have sworn that Jeffster was not singing Bon Jovi. That I thought they were singing the final countdown during the scene. Oh, that's cool. I feel like that might happen at some point. I googled Jeffster the final countdown and nothing happened. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. I guess not. Uh, that was the scene that I was expecting to get. It was not the scene that I actually got. <laughs> I still really enjoyed the scene that I received, but it was not the... I guess what can only be described as mythological uh, <laughs> scene that I had built up in my mind over the past... 10 years. So Chuck is having major flashing issues and he ends up flashing back to his younger self, sneaking into his dad's office. In the office, he activates something on an original type Mac and turns on what seems to be like a proto-intersect. His dad rushes in and is surprised that Chuck's okay after seeing all these flashing images. Steven says Chuck processed an incredible amount of data and Chuck asks what that means. Steven says you're special, just like he did when he was dying. So Chuck is special. He's He can... Handle intersect stuff? I don't know. Chuck jumps back up, ready to fight. Shaw is like, huh? And Chuck is like, just had to reboot, which is honestly pretty sick. I thought he was, I really wanted him to say, like, when Chuck jumped up, I wanted him to say, I'm special, motherfucker. And then he would punch <laughs> Shaw in the face. I did actually think he was going to say I'm special, but I'm, I'm, I like just had to reboot. Yeah. They continue their big fight, and uh, I found myself wishing that uh, Sarah could be a little bit more a part of it. She's uh, continuing to be handcuffed to the nerd her desk. There's a mm -hmm. lot of shots of her struggling, and I was wondering, do you think that they, like, shot all of them, um, like, as in one take? Or do you think, like, 
Like, do you think they just shot one take and then split it over this? Or do you think they like told her to do different things in different shots? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure that the fight scene between Chuck and Shaw probably took a lot of time and mm-hmm. effort. And I don't know if they like would have made Yvonne sit there for the yeah. entirety of that, but maybe yeah. they did. But I guess, yeah, I didn't really think about that, but maybe it would have been really cool if it was like Chuck and Sarah, like tag teaming against Shaw. Yes. But maybe that would have, they would have been overpowered in that situation. I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess we could talk about it later, but ultimately Chuck does get the better of Shaw. Shaw says, you'll have to kill me. Chuck says, he doesn't say been there, done that, but he basically says been there, done that. And then Sarah stands up and whacks Shaw in the head with the, like, hole that she was handcuffed to. So she does, Mm -hmm. in the end, get her moment, which I think is good because, like, he, like, he hurt her as well, like, he he killed Chuck's dad, yes, but he also like really hurt Sarah. So it's good that she gets to take him down. Yeah, kind of sucks that she's reduced to the damsel in distress during this particular scene. Yes, I agree because she's, she's like such like a badass. That. But right. um, yeah, that's that's what happens. My next note just says governor and a hug, which sounds like either a good or a bad thing, depending which governor you're talking about. But I think it means that Sarah and Chuck embrace, and then Sarah gives Chuck the governor back. Yes, and then he immediately. Feels a lot better now that he's embraced by the governor. Yes. Uh, outside, Big Mike laments the fact that they're all about to be fired, and Jeff offers the only solution he can, burning the Bymore to the ground. Big Mike is horrified by this and heads off to his own car, but not before telling Lester, your singing voice is a vocal felony, which I liked. Inside, the gang and some extra spies are looking for Shaw's detonator. We're treated to a nice scene where Casey is impressed with Morgan for breaking his thumbs, but still pretty adamant about Morgan not dating or talking to Alex. In their own corner, Chuck tells Sarah he's committed to quitting the spy life for Ellie, and Sarah is okay with this. Chuck is a little concerned that Sarah won't be able to love a regular guy, but Sarah's like, Jesus, Chuck, we're past this. This stopped being a concern like five episodes ago. (laughs) At this point, Morgan finds the detonator, which is good. He's pretty excited until because of his broken thumbs, he drops it. In a very real-looking explosion, the Bymore blows up. Jeff and Lester are looking on, and they're like, did we do that? We cut to a news report about Jeff and Lester being the masterminds of the explosion and also being on the run. This is playing at a party where the Bartowskis, Morgan, Sarah, and Casey are toasting to Stephen. Chuck says that they know now that there was nothing more important to Stephen than family. Alex shows up around this point and has an awkward hug with her dad, which reminds me a lot of when I try to hug my dad. Morgan tries to talk to her, but Casey steers her away. Across the room, Ellie asks Chuck if he's really done with the spy game. Chuck looks over at Sarah and says he's done. But is the spy life done with him? He gets a text from an unknown number that tells him to go to his computer, so he does. It tells him to press enter, so he does that too. And it's a message from his dad. Steven seems to tell Chuck to go back to... So, okay, so I'm a little confused here. I... What does Steven exactly tell Chuck to do? Like, where does where does Chuck go in this next scene? Well, he goes back... He goes back to their childhood house. Okay. So, like... Why is that empty? Why does no one live there? Why is it still, like, unfurnished and everything? Like, is it... Do they still own it? I, I guess the implication would be since no one else lives there and their, yeah. like, old furniture and all the stuff is yeah. still in there, I guess they still own it. But why wouldn't they... I guess you probably wouldn't want to live in that house if you had so many bad memories in it. But I don't know. I feel like Chuck and Ellie could have made some money if they... uh you know, yeah, rented it house. out or something. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, even rented it out or something. Yeah. But no, it's I guess confusing. it's just been sitting abandoned <laughs> and they're just paying mortgage payments on this empty yeah, house. I guess so. Uh Chuck flicks the light switch on one of the walls and it opens a secret staircase under the fireplace. He goes down and there are rows upon rows of files here, sort of like the Hall of Prophecy in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. But they're all about bad spy guys. Steven tells Chuck that he's going to explain his work, but more importantly, he wants to explain Chuck's family because he did all of it for her. Chuck walks up to a desk and sees the boy half of his mother's necklace on it. We cut to a shot from behind of a woman wearing a charm bracelet with the girl half. We cut back to Chuck seeing a file for Mary Elizabeth Bartowski, who's listed as missing. He says, Mom? And that's the end. Dun dun dun. I feel like that's pretty harsh of his mom to be wearing the girl half of the bracelet and just have abandoned the like the Chuck half. But how did she wasn't it just a matching bracelet? Because Ellie had the same bracelet in the flashback that Chuck broke. But Chuck's mom is wearing the bracelet also. Well, it seems so like she's wearing she the. 
Well, because they said that she left a couple days after it broke. So presumably she could have just, oh. like, had it. Okay. Um, but I was confused I, by how she was not shown at the flashbacks at all. Was what? <laughs> yeah. I don't think they'd cast her yet. That's probably what the deal is. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, but it's pre- it seems pretty harsh. Like, I mean, the point of this bracelet seems to be like, I have two kids and a boy and a girl. And then she's just like, just kidding. But maybe we'll find out more about that in season four. Yes. And that is how season three ends with yes. a pretty significant cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, you know, Stephen is gone, but evidently we are going to meet Chuck and Ellie's other parent in this upcoming season. And evidently the ring is just one of what appears to be thousands of bad guys that uh, yeah. Stephen was working to keep at bay as Orion that will now have uh, will be able to take control and be free and uh, roam around now that Orion is not there caging yeah. them in, I guess. Yeah, that's alarming. Is uh, the ring just gone now? Like because they got the five elders, is it just like shut down for good? I think so. Okay. I think that's the implication. I think they're cool. gone. Good, good so, for them. Yeah, they can go back to the whatever weird stock footage commercial for <laughs> uh, a some kind of business firm they came from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so this next part of the show is Chuck, Mary, Kill, where we highlight one element of this episode that we'd like to marry and one element of this episode that we would like to kill. Aaron, what would you like to marry this week? I'm going to go with um, the note on Big Mike's phone. I just found that mm. to be very charming as a character detail. And it also is like a really good set design detail, especially from the fact that we like can really only see it for like a split second. I think it's just like really good world building and really sweet. And I like that it was there. Seeing as that was not part of my viewing, I did not have the luxury of making that my Mary, but... Uh, I'm just going to sound like a real nerd with my long, drawn-out, thoughtful marriage. No, go ahead. <laughs> um, I think I'd like to marry Stephen this week. Oh, uh, that's a surprise it, from you. Well, I'll get to it in a moment. Um, it's hard to believe that he's only been in the past three episodes and was markedly absent from the rest of the season because he's he's such a big part of these final three episodes. And I think Scott Bakula does a really good job of playing father to ellie and chuck when they're adults but also when they were children like i was i thought he did a good job in the flashback scenes and i think that the writers did a really good job of writing steven uh, i agree as a character and that scott bacula did a good job performing him and i feel better entering holy matrimony with scott bacula because <laughs> based on our recent twitter poll 94.7 percent of respondents said that scott bacula is just scott bacula and not scott dracula oh thank god Although it is not 100%, which gives me pause. It's only 94.7. So there's like 5.3% out there who are like, I think it's Dracula, but I guess it's, I suppose it's close enough. Um, I also wanted to give a sh- another shout out to Big Mike and his meta line about, um, it's like when the, the Buy More explodes and there's this big like CGI fiery explosion and everything. Big Mike says, the crazy nerds finally succeeded in blowing up the Buy More, which I thought it was funny because obviously there have been characters in the show that have attempted to and have been threatening to blow up the buy more in the past. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of is like the show's writers have been toying and teasing with mm-hmm. blowing up the buy more for a while, but they can never really pull it off. So I thought it was a nice little touch that Big Mike was acknowledging that this this thing finally happened as a, a nod to the viewer. Seth was laughing because um, he he obviously does not watch Chuck with me regularly, but he is sometimes in the room when I am watching. And he was thinking it was pretty weird that the Bymore was such a, like, the store closing and everything around the Bymore was such a big part of this episode. And I was like, no, they really go back to that well quite a lot. There are a lot of threats to the Bymore's closing or blowing up, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And this time it finally happens. Yeah, it really had a big fiery death. What would your kill be, Chris? My kill, um, I I really feel like Shaw was a missed opportunity in these mm-hmm. past few episodes, especially this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw a really different, interesting side of Shaw in Chuck versus the other guy. And um, in some capacity, Chuck versus the American hero. Mm-hmm. Um, when he started to get unhinged and kind of bent on avenging his wife and realizing mm-hmm. that he wants to uh, fight the CIA and he wants to hurt Sarah and all this kind of stuff. Um And I feel like it's a shame that Shaw isn't more unhinged in these episodes. Like you would think that 
dying in a river and coming back to life and having a supercomputer installed in his brain would really destabilize him. Mm -hmm. But he seems basically fine. I think it would have been compelling for Shaw to be able to act like he's fine when he's around other ring agents or when he's around the CIA, but to like really be losing it and to show that to Chuck and Sarah. Um, like, because especially after Chuck exposes Shaw to the rest of the government agents, like at that conference during the live stream, mm-hmm. Shaw really has nothing left to lose. And he should, he basically just wants chaos yeah. by blowing up the buy more. Yeah. But he's still so prim and proper. And I would have really liked to see him have like an arc like Harvey Dent in the Dark Knight when he starts off as a hero but has this kind of traumatic event happen to him and comes back as this deranged villain. Yeah, I do feel like he's kind of, like, I don't want to blame Brandon Routh for this, but I feel like Shaw, like, for... Like, for lack of a better word, exists in the beginning half of the season. Like, he feels like a real person. And then mm-hmm. essentially, like, these last couple episodes, he just feels like like a cardboard cutout. Like, he's just, like, the the enemy. He's not really, like, doing anything. Like, there's, like, flashes of it where, like, when he, like, talks to Sarah or, like, went... But really, he's just, like, fulfilling the role of, like, any villain of the week. And since we've been with him for the whole season, I was disappointed about that because I, I like him as a character. Right. And I think it boils down to the because like when he gets really interested and kind of gets like turned, he has this motivation of what he's doing. Like he wants to avenge his wife and he's hurt and he wants to extract that. But in these later episodes, he really doesn't have motivation. He basically is just trying to like work for the ring and do the rings vague, you know, business of being evil or what have you. And it just felt like it kind of he used to be Shaw at some point was more multi-dimensional and then the shaw that comes back from the the, like comes back from the grave i guess is less interesting and not as compelling as he could have been and admittedly i couldn't help myself and i was like you know we didn't see shaw like die and even when he's died before it doesn't really matter so i'm like does shaw come back at some point and evidently he does come back oh he does yeah i guess we'll see what happens then okay i don't remember that at all so yeah uh, no clue cool um my kill i have i have a couple one is small which is just um shaw's flash face i didn't really care for um chuck has like chuck's flash face i think we've said before is based on like a sneeze kind of thing and shaw's mm-hmm. flash face i i can't really describe it but just like when it came up on screen i was like oh i don't like that so that's my <laughs> that's my small kill my big kill um, I think that, like, you were talking about the deus ex machinas in this episode, it feels like a lot of things seem very easy and convenient, mm-hmm. and yeah. just, like, they get the ring people because Shaw sends out a group text, like, that's, no one's ever thought to do that before, what is, like, going on with, like, Shaw's speech, the the missile we talked about at the beginning uh, works out very easily, Ellie and Devin aren't really in any danger, they're just gone for most of the episode, um, it just seems like a lot of the um, problems that come up are solved very quickly. Even like Sarah, like on handcuffing herself at just the right moment to knock Shaw out. Like it, it just seems like these problems are presented and then they're either solved really quickly or solved in a way that doesn't feel totally satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they and, kind of they set up all these huge obstacles in yeah. this one you know, two hour long episode, basically. And then it's like each one of those huge things gets resolved relatively quickly. And and it's like a little disappointing for a finale, like especially if you think about how um, Chuck versus the other the the other guy was um, like that felt like so much more of a finale, like cohesive and like stressful and like there were actual problems. And this just Mm -hmm. felt like um, kind of a little bit like going through the motions. Mm hmm. Or even like Chuck versus the ring, you know, full stop part uh-huh. one was a good finale, I feel like, where they had things seemed really big, but it was also yeah. um, satisfying to yes. to end with everything. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like that's a good segue into the scooter scale, the final scooter sale of the season proper, I guess. Uh, that is where we we go back to the Wienerlicious and pick out how many hot dogs we'd like to give this episode. And I hey, hope hey, excuse me, Chris, you said hot dogs? I don't know what uh, that is. Oh, sorry, sorry, Aaron. Corn dogs. I mean, uh, corn dogs. Okay, I understand. Um, and hopefully, I was thinking that they might be hot corn dogs because maybe they were caught in the fire when the oh, fire more exploded, yes, yes, but yes. obviously it's the orange-orange now, so who knows? It might be cold. Aaron, would you like to go first? Would you sure, like me to go first? I, I will go first. 
Um, I'm going to give this episode a four. I think the general excitement of a finale does a lot for it. Um, although, as I talked about in my kill, I do have problems with it. I think that the um, like the relative ease with which a lot of the problems are solved, the issues with Shaw and his character, some general confusion about um, what exactly is going on, particularly with the spy conference that doesn't really come up as like it's it's not a lot of things in this episode feel underutilized. I feel like if this wasn't the end of the season of Aaron, if this wasn't um, like the finale episode, my score might be lower. But just because like it is the finale, I feel like I have this weird sense that I have to give it a little bit of respect. I do feel like the fight between Shaw and Chuck is pretty like is really well choreographed and is pretty exciting. Um, I really liked some of the like set design choices. I liked some of the characterization of Morgan and Casey, the introduction of Alex as a potential romantic partner for Morgan. Um, and I like what it's setting up with Chuck's mom at the end. So I'm, I'm giving it a four. If it wasn't the finale, I'd probably give it closer to like a, a three, but because it is, and because there's like these, these good, exciting moments, I'm going to stick with a four. What about you? Well, I have to, I mean, I think you bring up an interesting kind of angle of like, what, how would you feel about this if it wasn't the season finale? Mm -hmm. And I would like to ask you, like, how would you, if you combine Chuck versus the subway and this episode and just consider it to be one episode, what would you give that super episode? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Do you have in front of you what I gave to Chuck versus the subway? Uh, I do. What, what did I say? Uh, you gave Chuck versus the subway uh, 3.5 corn dogs. Okay, so I I mean, it seems like I just don't really like these two episodes very much. Um, I think that they have good moments. Um, but I like if they were not the finale, I don't know that I would really rank them particularly high. Maybe like I would probably settle somewhere around 3.5 as a like consensus about the whole thing. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, as a standalone episode, I would also give this episode four corn dogs out of five. Um, but I was thinking, like, you know, combined with Chuck versus the subway and considering them to be one episode, I'd give them probably five out of five, like as a super episode, just because I think that, like, I enjoyed the last episode and I feel like they it has strengths that this one is missing, but this one has things that the other one was missing. So I feel like they complement each other well. And I feel like they they obviously were intended to be kind of this package deal so i would i would give them five together but yeah i mean i'd give this one a four because like i like chuck's disguise at the beginning I, yeah i do thing, really I like that and, that was the thing that i forgot to mention i think that is a really good disguise yeah because we haven't seen like any kind of like really silly good disguises in a while and i like how it was a reference to a you know something he had said earlier in the show and i liked how team bartowski succeeded in outsmarting shaw at the conference and I like Morgan and Casey's dynamic in this episode as kind of the action heroes and Morgan potentially like flirting with Casey's daughter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've said that I really like the fight scene in the Bymore as well as the Bymore getting blown up was a good touch. Um, I kind of did want. I don't know, I kind of am torn because like part of me wants there to be more resolution in the end of the episode rather than jumping into right into a cliffhanger and uh -huh. for a teaser for the following season, which uh -huh. like I, I get that they had to do that to say, like, make sure you tune in, you know, next fall yeah. or whenever season four comes in, because this is what we're going to be looking at. But I feel like, you know, contrasting this to Chuck versus the other guy and how that ended as a finale, where it just ends with Chuck and Sarah together under the Eiffel Tower without any kind of cliffhanger was like a really nice finale. Yeah. And then this one, I was kind of like, we didn't really get to sit in all of the growth and change and all the, you know, all the, that the characters fought for and struggled for this season. We're like yeah. right into here's a basement of all these files. <laughs> Good luck going through them. By yeah. the way, your mom's still alive. Hope you can find her. I agree. I, it feels like there was a lot more of a emotional arc to the beginning half of this season. Whereas the last, like the latter half of this season is kind of like, issues that arise mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think it's i think these episodes this episode is like a good way to close season three mm -hmm. and i think it at its best it evokes some of the strongest parts of season three while mm -hmm. also being somewhat dragged down by some of the weaker elements of mm -hmm. 
this season specifically this later third of the season this final six where they're kind of struggling to regain footing interesting stuff so that is uh chuck versus the ring part two part two do not don't ask us to do chuck versus the ring part three because that's not a real episode is that not as far as i know i guess that means the ring is gone now that i'm Saying that, I'm hoping that there's not a part three, but... I can't believe Shaw comes back. Like, that must be one of the, like, season five, like, things. Like... Yeah, it is. Okay. Because I remember, like, season five is kind of, like, villain of the week, but with people who have been there before. So I guess Mm -hmm. that makes sense. I'm going to be excited to see him. I gotta say. I will be curious. Yeah. (laughs) I know he's a polarizing character for people, but... Yes. And obviously even a polarizing character for us, I guess, (laughs) over the course of the season. Yeah, that... I um, will talk about it more in our wrap up episode, but I did not understand why people didn't like him before. And now I am starting to get to that point. <laughs> well, that's good. That's what Go Chuck Yourself is all about. Is, yes, uh, yes, it is. You know, you're kind of confused. You're like, why don't people like this? And then you're like, ah, ah I see. yes, I see. But overall, still still feel good about this season, I think. Yeah, I would say um the season of Aaron is done. It It's hard to say if season four will be the season of Aaron 2.0 or if it maybe will be the season of Chris. We we don't know yet, but I am excited. Uh, I am excited to finish season three. I enjoyed it as a whole and I am excited for season four. Yes, I look forward to giving the hashtag season of Aaron a proper send off in our next episode next week. Yes, me as well. So tune in for that. Thank you for tuning in for this. Yes, I hope that uh, we won't know until all is said and done, but I hope that us talking on the phone was not that big of a problem for you, the listener. I feel like we handled it okay. I feel comfortable with how we did. Yeah, my face is so far not burned. Yeah, mine's a little sweaty, but could be worse. (laughs) So with that being said, my name is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy. And my name is Erin Arana, letting you know that anything, even amid technical difficulties, is possible. If we work together. what it, That's what Steven said, right? You can do anything if you work together. Oh, that is what he said. Yeah, and we did. We can fix anything if we work together. Yeah, thanks, Steven. Such a nice way to end the season. Yeah. For a season that's seen, uh, I think, both of us in varying capacities, or you at least were eaten by an alligator at some point in the yep, season. Yeah. Go check yourself. You uh, got I've coronavirus. Been, like that's. I got, yeah, that wasn't a bit. That was just something that actually <laughs> happened. I was thinking more of bits. I was going to say I turned into a vampire. That oh, was yeah, a yeah. fun version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, similar things. Did you actually get attacked by alligators then? Is that. Oh, um, well, I was I was saving. I was going to tell you after like when we stopped recording. But yeah, I, I did. Oh, that I'm, did happen. I'm, Sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, my uh, yeah, it. it it hurt, but you know, in the end, it, it's an experience I can tell people about. So, yeah, that's the that's the that <laughs> you know signature errata optimism that I <laughs> love so much. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see you next week when we're going to be talking about all things season three. Our big thoughts. How would we? How would we uh, rate or rank? these the season on the scooter scale how would we you know what are going to be our ultimate chuck mary kills of the season what are our favorite uh uses of music our favorite guest stars you won't want to miss it you don't want to miss it so tune in next week until then goodbye bye Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.